For China Current continues its special coverage on the coronavirus outbreak, go to our social media at the China Current and our website for interviews, videos, and podcasts. I'm James Chow. Thank you. I met Latifa Simon through our work in HIV in 2008 in San Francisco, the city where AIDS was first globally identified in June 1981. She is a prolific individual whose own story is testament to the beautiful possibilities in life, and was chosen by Oprah Winfrey for her first ever power list. We bonded again in 2013 when her husband Kevin and my father John were sick at the same time, and eventually dying within a few. Weeks of one another, so we walk that journey together as we do now, as part of humanity in an era of COVID-19. Latifa speaks in this interview about people of color, low-income families, and other communities that were highly vulnerable before this pandemic. What future do they face, and what chance do they have? My name is Latifa Simon, and I live in the Bay Area, United States, and. Um, I'm an activist and organizer, and I'm also a local elected official.、Um, I run our regional rapid transit, so our train system. What do you make of COVID-19 in the United States? COVID-19 is is it's taken the world to its knees, essentially,、um, and what it's exposed are a number of things: our lack of preparedness for any huge disaster, not just a pandemic,、um, both economically. Um, and from an infrastructure perspective,、um, and I'm also extremely concerned、um, about the livelihood of those with the least amount of safety net.、Um, so, what this pandemic exposes is even further inequities in in our communities. It also tells us that we're all vulnerable. Money cannot keep this virus away.、Um, That everyone's deeply, deeply affected, and again, the United States has thought of itself in, in so many ways as the world's power. And there's a, a lot of humility coming from this nation. I feel not necessarily our president, but from this nation. Now we are、um, we're really a part of a global moment. You really capture San Francisco and the surrounding areas. Some of the most complex contradictions. On our planet today, one of the richest economies in the world, not just in the United States, yet some of the poorest people with, as you say, the least safety net. Is there anything being done to protect them at this very, very fragile time? You know, in the Bay Area, which、uh, is made up of five counties, some would say nine, but the the the, the、uh, Bay Area proper,、um, there there are millions of people. Um, who um, are, are low income, but there are about fifty thousand people in just the five cities away from me who are sleeping on the concrete every night. Our homeless epidemic、um, is is unprecedented. In each city and in each county, there are efforts to move homeless people、um, into、um, county facilities like our fairgrounds or high school gyms, but not enough. I mean, clearly,、um, COVID struck. And we were unprepared.、Uh, we've been decades unprepared to figure out strong public policy to house、um, our most vulnerable people, including families, not just individuals. But I think、um, what we're seeing now is a, a, a deep push to acknowledge not only that these folks need homes, but if we don't take care of the folks who have the biggest need, the virus will continue to ravage our communities. Post. 
COVID-19. And we don't know how long this is going to stretch out for, but let's just say post the immediate emergency, will there be an even greater danger that the ones who have been left behind will be left even further behind? Or will the wake-up call that you describe in the United States and in fairness in every part of our world today, will that be a wake-up call strong and loud enough to shake everyone into action once and for all? Here's the wake-up call that um, I'm actually hoping and praying for. When you have a nation where tens of millions of people are now unemployed and they can't pay their rent or their mortgage or they're worried about groceries and there's a federal promise to give folks a maximum of $2,400 over the next few months, the, the pangs of poverty will ring true across social class. What that hopefully will inspire is a, a unity for folks um, who now will really understand what it's like not to be able to make choices that they were making four weeks ago, to eat whatever they want, to go wherever they want. Um, the United States is based on an idea of meritocracy and not collective unity. What this horrific, savage uh, disease is telling us is that we actually need each other and that folks like teachers and first responders, folks who are often paid less or um, demonized, it's because they are part of you know, unions that will learn to respect them and honor the work that um, oftentimes we dismiss as non-crucial. Now they are our lifeline. My hope is that our democracy becomes more palpable to um, what we call liberation, that we can actually all sort of take advantage of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's my hope. That's the only good thing that can come out of this moment. Um, is that Americans can look at each other and really actually realize that we are a part of, of the world um, and that we are world citizens and that we all deserve mobility and peace and access to health care. So that's, that's the dream that we're going to be fighting for, especially those on the ground who care about peace and justice. When I think about the beautiful country that is America, did you know that in Chinese, America is Mei Guo, which means beautiful country? That's You're the name. Kidding. That's the name. But when I think of what you aspire America to be, I feel that the Bay Area could perhaps be the accelerator pedal for that, because while it is representative of some of the biggest social gaps in the world today, the Bay Area is one of the most socially progressive and has been so for many decades. Uh, it's been the birthplace of some of the most important civil rights movements in the post-war history. The Black Panthers, for example, founded down the road from where you are. Do you think that San Francisco have the answers, the solutions, and, and meaning all people, meaning everybody of every wonderful color? Right. Absolutely. I love that question. You know, I am an internationalist, um, and I, that politic is actually one that the Black Panthers shared. They understood that um, people of color, or people who are representing the majority of the globe um, have the answers. San Francisco um, was the birthplace of uh, horrific uh, American anti-Asian sentiment. Right, the Chinese Exclusion Act um, was it marks the Bay Area in its horrific racial past. The movements that I've learned about and come to want to practice in my own life, um, Chinese Americans, folks of color, fought against those horrific policies both locally and federally. The civil rights movement in the southern region of the United States, coupled with the, you know, the vibrancy of uh, black liberation movements and Asian liberation movements, Latino liberation movements here, everyone wants to be free. 
right? And um, the beauty of this reality, where my mother lives in a Chinese neighborhood, and there's a Chinese association of young people who are knocking on the doors of all the elders, bringing groceries to them every single day. That is the collective power and the American promise that we know. Um, and she is, as an elder, deeply invited into that community. My mother as well. My Even mother. She is not ethnically Chinese. My mother is black. <laughs> she is, my mother is African-American. Uh, and she lives in a Chinese neighborhood in San Francisco. And the, the reality is those young people know um, throughout the history that African-American elders, Chinese-American elders, Latino elders are living in this community one, because it's low rent and they need to be taken care of. And through this moment, my mother's opening up the door and finding groceries on her doorstep every day. What and, is she getting, she told you? Um, she said she's, uh, she's getting a lot of fish. She's getting, she's getting rice. She's getting bananas. She's getting um, fruits that she's taking pictures of. And she's asking me what they are. And I don't know. I just said put salt and pepper and olive oil and bake it. I don't know. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> But, but again, the collective promise of, of unity is that that's what we hope for. I am not at all worried about um, or listening to what's happening in Washington, although we need to. I'm so inspired by what's happening in small communities throughout the Bay Area and through the country. Folks are relying on each other uh, for their basic sustenance. And in terms of transportation, in terms of the, sort of the local infrastructure, um, I, I will rise again. We're hoping that taxpayer dollars over you know the years are they're going to come back to us in stimulus and folks are going to continue to move post-covid it's going to take some time and there will be um i i think unforeseen challenges in terms of our local budgets and um, governance structures but we'll get through this since we're talking about people of color black lives matter sent an email out the other day which you probably got in your inbox too saying it's no secret that whenever a crisis hits americans it hits our community even harder then goes on to cite disparities in the healthcare system that lead to high rates of chronic disease and lower access to treatment surely this can only get worse when the healthcare system is already so stressed by the pandemic we are in absolutely absolutely um Black communities, there was, a, there was an old saying when, you know, white Americans get a cold, black people get pneumonia. That saying is, is older than my mother, right? <laughs> um, the stressors of, of black folks and people of color, undocumented folks, um, their accessibility in good times to, to receive good health care, good food, good child care, good wages. So imagine when the, the, the United States as a whole is struggling for those exact same necessities. There is, um, the, the, there's, uh, the, the inequities just are, are, are rising and they're clear. Um, we can't wait on Washington. We can't even wait on our local governments. The only way that communities are going to move through this moment is to deeply support each other. In my day job, I run a, a, a philanthropy a foundation where we support community organizers in Oakland, California. And what we're doing now is thinking about how in the next, the coming weeks, we can provide as many resources to those on the ground first responders who are cultural artists, who are, again, community organizers, who are in communities every single day, fearless, um, and are 24 hours a day, working with people to make sure that the lifeblood of our communities continue. Cross race, cross ethnicity. 
let's put on record the name of your organization and what can people do if they're watching you right now? Um, I run the Akhenati Foundation. Uh, it's akhenati.org, A-K-O-N-A-D-I.org. But I want to say we're going to be okay. I want folks to support community organizations. I want folks to support our United Ways. I want folks to uh, support our food pantries and our childcare centers and our small businesses. Um, there's so much we can do. But before folks do that, I think it's important to call your neighbor next door to see how they're doing. Tell me about a bit about your beginnings because I remember at 17 you started working for a women's organization. At 19, you became its executive director, one of the youngest, or the youngest, I think, in its history. And I think a lot of that had to do with domestic violence. I hear now about the reports of domestic violence surging around the world because people are having to stay indoors. Does that mean, therefore, that while they're being asked to protect their health by staying indoors, they're also risking their health and their lives by doing that? That's right. You know, at 19, I was given the honor to run a fantastic organization, uh, the Center for Young Women's Development. It is now called the Young Women's Freedom Center because those women 25, later, 25 years later are very clear. They don't just want to be developed. They want to be freed from all systems of oppression. That work starting, you know, in, 19, in the mid-90s was about young women and girls who were involved in the underground street economies, who were being trafficked, who were HIV positive, um, who were young mothers, who were essentially castaways. Uh, who weren't protected by social nets or supported young women who were queer um, and transgender to have a, a political um, and spiritual and economic home. Um, what I saw then and what I feel like is, 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 is uh, continues to be a global pandemic of uh, patriarchy and lack of resources for women and absolutely for women who are being trafficked for women and their families who are living in quarters where they don't have economic uh, power, they're absolutely subjugated to more abuse and more violence. Um, when we think about freedom and what freedom looks like, it's not just a political term, it's a term where we're thinking about mobility and we're thinking about access for women and girls and disabled people um, and elders all over the world, for queer folks. Can you imagine all of the young people every single day who go to school and they have their communities and um, they are clear, not struggling with their identities, they're clear about their identities, but they're unsafe at home. Can you imagine um, sort of the the rage that is happening all over the world and how we're not able to protect these beautiful, amazing young people to be who they are because there are, the youth centers are closed, the gathering spaces are closed. My, again, I think my hope is, from all that I've learned over my 25 years of work, um, that we are going to immediately have to make sure that there are safe spaces when this pandemic settles for the people that we love so much to be their full selves. Uh, because to your point, for many, it may be as dangerous being at home as it would be as it would be being outside during this very difficult time. So we are, or people are struggling. Tommy, who are struggling? We've talked about not only individuals but families. You said we've talked about people of color. Within that, also there are people who are homeless. There was that huge uh, 
juxtaposition, I think, of someone sleeping in the doorway in uh, America, in San Francisco. Was it in the Uber doorway or the Twitter doorway? Yes. But this, yes, this yes. meeting point of incredible wealth, but also yes. very, very deep and grinding. And I can't get out of this kind of poverty. Um, who else are we looking at in terms of COVID-19? And also, what are some of the anecdotal evidence, perhaps, that you've heard yourself? Right. So, you know, I, I want to be clear. COVID is is ravaging the world, whether it be, uh, you know, we can look at the epidemiology and we can see the uptick all over uh, the United States, but in, in, in many parts of the world, very few were prepared. So I, in some ways, when you think of the term pandemic, it crosses every and all things, the fear, the anxiety, the lack of access. I think any virus, if we, you and I met doing HIV advocacy work um, to make sure that we flatten the stigma nationally, internationally. The same is so for COVID. This is a virus very similar to HIV. The epidemiology is different, of course, the mutants of transmission are different, but the, the psychology of the, the fear, of the lack of understanding, of the misinformation, we have so much to do um, to quail that because you know, I saw a picture the other day of a surgeon and his wife was in a, on an ER bed, curled up like a ball. Um, the face of COVID is everyone's face. Um, so we are all struggling in fear and anxiety, lack of resource, whether you have resources or not, you might not be able to get a ventilator or a bed if you uh, become very ill. That's in this country, that's new. Money used to buy you everything. And this moment halts that. Um, that privilege, whether it's skin color and or economic privilege, we're all susceptible. I think that at the end of the day, though, when we think about folks who have so little access, I think about folks like my mother, the elders. I think of folks who um, are monolingual, non-English speakers. And we think about, you know, Black folks in the rural South. Uh, you think about poor white folks in Appalachia who don't have a local and a county hospital, simply maybe a clinic. Um, we're gonna learn a lot about each other in the weeks to come. We're going to mourn together. But at the same time, James, I do believe globally we'll celebrate, uh, not necessarily in the, over the next coming, uh, the coming days, but soon, and how we've, we've figured out how to come together. Politics aside, I think the condition, the human condition will teach us so much. I, for one, um, I'm deeply humbled, but extremely determined to learn from my colleagues like yourself, folks in government, understand the global response um, and figure out how we can become better people. This is, I believe, the first of many um, realities of the new world, global warming and economic instability. We're going to have to learn how to take care of each other. Well, you mentioned HIV and AIDS and what a special place you are in in San Francisco, June 1981. San Francisco yes. and New York were the first cases where AIDS was identified. And AIDS is what brought us together when we worked together one time in 2008. Since then, we've had this fantastic and trusted sibling relationship, which has been my privilege. May I ask you to close this conversation by giving us the words and the meaning and the purpose to uplift everybody at a time when meaning and purpose and hope are quite scant? Mm. I think that that is a very difficult task. Um, 
you know, James, but one of the things that I, I care most deeply about is being able to share stories of hope and of promise. Um, many folks are saying we've been through this before. I don't know that we have, meaning the whole globe stopping, the economy of the globe stopping and bringing ourselves to our knees and our most primal selves of fear and anxiety, but at the same time sort of pure love, the selflessness that we're seeing, not just of first, you know, of, uh, of, of, of firemen and police officers and medical professionals, um, but again, of, of young people, of, uh, of our neighbors. Folks are calling each other more and being in conversation more. Um, we will determine the power of spirit, of the human spirit, based on these conditions. For many of us who have the privilege of technology and a roof over our head and food and the opportunity to reach out, we can do so much, especially for those who have none of those things. Um, we owe it to them to figure out how to be creative and how to use culture and how to use science and technology, but most importantly, love. Um, our, love doesn't cost anything. It is pure. Um, and for those who are sick and those who are dying and those who are treating them, I think that for me, understanding the grace that has been given, um, that folks are dying alone and folks are surviving alone as well. Hi, Mom! Hi! It's Latifa! And at this point, my mother walked into the interview, not knowing that we were recording. They spoke for a while. And after that, this is how we continued. Here's the deal. When mom came in, it changed my whole thinking, right? The power of people who, again, who have experienced and seen so much. I think it's a time to listen. I think it's a time... Um, to express radical humility, um, especially for folks who have survived wars and buried the people that they love and who have seen economic shifts, um, who have, you know, eaten once a day to survive, who've been through these hills, hills and valleys. And seeing your mother reminds me that there is wisdom that is more powerful than the New York Times, right? Or the Hill or the Washington Post. Um, and Oftentimes in these moments, it's right next door. <laughs> and um, I want for us to think about folks like our mothers, um, those of us who still have mothers on earth or family members on earth, and ask them questions that we wouldn't typically ask. I think we're going to come out a stronger people. Definitely a, the muscle of grief, the anticipatory grief, is we feel it. Um, and we're preparing for, like your mother said, the unknown. But... Um, the promise is that the, the unity, the, the, the spirit, the, uh, the generosity, um, and the reliance on community will, will just continue to um, increase. Thank you very much for your grace. I love you dearly, Mr. James. Let's talk more. Bye, everybody.